passing an electrical shock through the heart to restore its regular rhythm is one of the most common procedures in modern medicine. It's used in emergency, non-emergency, and elective situations. But that defibrillation shock comes with risks, including possible damage to the heart. Is there a better way? There are ideas to use instead of one very strong electric shock, a sequence of much weaker pulses with lower energy. On this episode of the American Scientist podcast, an interview with Ulrich Parlitz, a biomedical physicist, on using artificial intelligence to predict the propagation of the heart's electrical signals. I'm Robert Frederick. It's not easy to scientifically experiment with an actual human heart, never mind experimenting on one that is still inside a living person. So from the data that has been gathered from studies of actual human hearts, mathematicians and biophysicists have done extensive modeling to mathematically describe what's already been observed. For Ulrich Parlitz and his colleagues at the Max Planck Institute for Dynamics and Self-Organization, that's led to asking whether artificial intelligence could help predict the propagation of electrical signals in the heart. With good predictions, the thinking goes, perhaps a sequence of low-energy electrical pulses could, more safely, correct cardiac arrhythmia. I spoke with Parlitz via Skype, and to start our interview, asked him about the title of a recent research paper, which doesn't mention the heart or cardiac tissue at all, but refers instead to excitable media. Turns out, pathological conditions in the heart, like cardiac arrhythmia, can be modeled as excitable media. My name is Ulrich Palitz. The title of your paper is Observing Spatiotemporal Dynamics of Excitable Media Using Reservoir Computing, and that's a lot of mathematical and scientific terms in there. What are some examples of excitable media? Yes, of course. There are many others, in fact. A wildfire in the forest, in some sense, can be considered like a, an example, because the main feature of excitable media is that they are at rest, and if you perturb them just a little bit, they go back to the resting state immediately, because this is a stable state. But if you uh, increase your perturbation strengths, so you perturb them more strongly, then they become excited for some period of time. But then, sooner or later, they go back to the resting state, and at that moment, you cannot immediately excite them again. They have a so-called refractory period. They have to recover a little bit. So coming back to the wildfire, this means if you have a, a, a forest, you may start a fire. So in this sense, you excite the, the system, then everything burns down, and then it needs some time for the vegetation to grow again. This is an example, which is, of course, a very simplified view. But this is uh, the, the kind of dynamics that you find in all excitable uh, systems. You can also find them in the slime mold colonies, dictyostelium, where the slime mold forms patterns because it's chasing for uh, nutrition. And so if you look around in nature, you find many examples of uh, excitable systems and in particular spatially extended excitable systems, which are usually called excitable media. So it's, it's a broad phenomenon in, in many dynamical systems and many, many natural systems. What prompted you and your co-author, Roland Zimmerman, to focus on applying machine learning to mathematical models of propagating electrical waves in cardiac tissue? 
The background is our interest in our group and understanding cardiac arrhythmias uh, with a long-term goal to develop methods for terminating uh, arrhythmias. So in, in our group here at the Max Planck Institute in, in Göttingen, we have uh, uh, experiments in cell culture, but also uh, in, in the Langendorf perfusion systems, for example, where we can study cardiac dynamics. We have numerical simulations using advanced mathematical models for the dynamics of the heart. And now we also use these uh, machine learning tools to connect, in a sense, uh, the experimental world and also the numerical simulations as a kind of a bridge or as a, as a new way to model the dynamics in addition to the existing approach using some partial differential equations which are based on more or less uh, fundamental physical and biological reasoning. I realize it's a long way off, but how will this help in helping patients survive cardiac arrhythmia? Yes, there are ideas to use so-called low-energy defibrillation. In fact, this is also a major topic of our group here. And there the idea is to use instead of one very strong electric shock, a sequence of much weaker pulses with a lower energy, less painful and in particular less damaging. But to learn how to apply this, to choose, for example, the right frequency of these pulses or the right moment to apply it, this is a, a, a difficult task. And to optimize these protocols for termination, it would be very helpful to get more insight into the, to the mechanisms underlying the dynamics in the heart and also the, the response to external stimulation like these sequences of pulses. And at that point, we hope and we think that also applying machine learning tools for making more out of the data that we obtain with different measurement modalities will help us to get a deeper understanding and to optimize these protocols or these methods for low energy defibrillation. So you programmed or, or gave the machine learning algorithm this set of partial differential equations. How does the algorithm then learn it's doing better or worse? What is it trying to optimize? In this mathematical model, the partial differential equation, we have four variables. We can measure the first variable, in principle, we, we can measure the other three, but let's assume it's very expensive. So what we want to do is we want to do a first measurement where we measure all four variables, the one we can measure easily, and the other three which are more difficult to be measured or more expensive. And then this is our training set. So in, during this phase, we present to the learning algorithm the input variable, the one which is easy to measure, and the other three. And then the task for the algorithm is to find the relation between those variables such that after learning, we need only the, the first variable, which is easy to measure. And we feed it into the network and then the network predicts the other three. So this is the idea of this paper. And during the training, of course, we present the true solution. And during the training procedure, of course, we try to minimize the error between the output of the network and the true solution. So this is part of the training procedure. But when, when this is over, from then on, you, you need only the first variable and the, the network will give you the other three. It provides you additional information about your underlying system in terms of, of those variables which have not been measured directly, but are 
now reconstructed from the observed data uh, using the, the network. So were these models able to compensate for the kind of data that it might encounter with real data from patients rather than from modeled data? In our simulation here, we added, in, in fact, a little bit of noise, not much, but a little bit, and the, the results were quite robust and, and we were quite satisfied with that. When talking about real-world data, of course, it's not only an issue of noise, there are also other limitations. What I'm saying is, this is only the first step. The next step would be to apply to data, not from humans or patients, but from data that you would obtain in what's called the Langendorf perfusion system. There you have an isolated heart and you put it into a device such that it can be kept alive for several hours and continues to pump. And in this device, you can watch it from all sides. You can do all kinds of measurements using cameras, for example, and, and these fluorescent dyes, which, which help you to visualize the electrical potential on the surface of the heart. We also have now a, a new technology using ultrasound, where we can measure also contraction waves inside the heart. So we can do a lot of studies and we get a lot of data. And it would be interesting now to use these data and, and use them for training the neural network. And this is certainly something we have in mind for the next year or so. Okay, Ulrich Parlitz, thank you very much. Thank you. Ulrich Parlitz is a biomedical physicist at the Max Planck Institute for Dynamics and Self-Organization. In the January-February 2019 issue of American Scientist, you can read more about Parlitz's work on using artificial intelligence to predict propagation of the heart's electrical signals. Online at americanscientist.org, you can also see a short computer simulation showing the dynamics of excitable media. You've been listening to a podcast from American Scientist magazine, published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society. I'm Robert Frederick. Thank you for joining us.